Thanks for joining us for another God-inspired message from C3 Church Monash. Connect with us online at c3monash.org.au and we hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, worship team. It's always doing a great job. Everybody, all the teams doing a great job. Teams here during the week setting things up, changing things around, as always. And just in getting ready for Love Christmas, Love Canberra. It's great to see Greg Wood here, back from the UK, visiting. Welcome, Greg. Good to have you with us. Good to get away from the, um, from the cold, no doubt. And Brexit, no doubt. You were, you were able to Brexit yourself, weren't you? So that was a good thing. So um, I just, uh, just reminding you next uh, week, again, Love Christmas, Love Canberra. We're going to take up a final opportunity to take up an offering after, at the end of the service this, this morning. And uh, so if you want to think about that or get ready for that, need a card or whatever, do that at the end of the service. Uh, we've raised, uh, so remember our target was seven and a half. We're, we're just under six at the moment. And so uh, believing God to come through and, uh, and actually the generosity of you, his people, is going to touch our community. Another significant thing that's happening next uh, at Love Christmas, Love Canberra is we, uh, we often invite, uh, well, we always invite a number of dignitaries and uh, many of them can't make it, but uh, we have a, a few that have come and been regulars. And uh, so this coming uh, uh, Love Christmas, Love Canberra, we actually have some uh, politicians from both sides of the ledger, which is the first time, which is an awesome thing. So it's, and the thing about it is that uh, we actually get to, you know, just connect with people. So take the opportunity. And uh, so that's going to be good as well as spreading out your carpet, your rugs or whatever, having your picnics. Um, that's going to be fun. Going to be lots and lots of fun. So, um, yeah. Also, just uh, piggybacking on the... Um, uh, the prayer vigil that we've just had. And sometimes, sometimes it's, you know, um, it's hard work. Prayer is actually hard work. I don't know about you, but I find it, it sometimes it's a grind. Uh, but uh, I love the scripture that Amy put up, you know, pray and don't give up. Just pray. Just keep doing the hard work of prayer. But uh, as, as you know, and as uh, is evidenced by the screens that we dev- use the space uh, and divide the space off, uh, we have a, a judo club that Matt, De, Matt and Sam Dequino run, uh, and they did their Christmas party uh, yesterday, and uh, they're not able to be here this morning, but um, just wanted to, he, he just sent through and just said, I just wanted to share how cool it was to have four morning classes and then our Beyond Grappling Christmas uh, party at church yesterday, the day after the prayer vigil, had several people asking about church and interested with one new parent remarking that the church had such a peaceful feel to it. So great to think that the 300 plus people that were there for judo yesterday came into an atmosphere created by 24 hours of prayer. You know, we actually have to fight hard to make a difference. To And, you know, it's about atmospheres. Uh, sometimes we just want... The, the immediate return, but what we're doing is shifting atmospheres. Every time we activate our faith, we shift atmosphere. We pray, we shift atmospheres. Not only in our church facility and community, but over, uh, you know, our, our presence as a faith community shifts the atmosphere of our broader community, shifts the atmosphere of uh, Monash and, uh, and, uh, the, and Canberra and all of that kind of thing. So, well done. And, uh, 
be on notice for next year's prayer vigil, 24-hour prayer vigil. Okay, so we're um, continuing or wrapping up our theme, uh, Generation to Generation, our, our conversation through the book of Joel over the last three months. And, um, you know, the question that re really comes to ultimately is, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to work? Are you and I ready to do the work? Prayer is work. Invitation is work. You know, sometimes just turning up is work. But are, are, are we ready to do the work? Because there are multitudes in the valley of decision. And we've looked at, uh, we've talked through repentance and what that means and how that needs to be an ongoing daily thing for us as Christians. We've looked at restoration and what it means to be restored from shame and having those things broken off us. But we're now into, so we're moving from, uh, um, from repenting to restoring to ready to work and uh, culminating today, I believe, in uh, the challenge that there are multitudes in the valley of decision. And so, you know, last week we talked about uh, stomping the grapes and how prayer and fasting is, is a form of stomping the grapes. Stomping the grapes is work. And uh, there's a harvest that's out there. Uh, we've been told by Jesus and we've been told by Joel that the harvest is ready. It's whether or you and I are, are willing to stomp the grapes and do the work or not. And so are you ready to work? The thing about the book of Joel, a couple of uh, just uh, historical things to point you to. He predicted Pentecost. So Joel, the book of Joel, we, uh, we saw uh, the prediction of Pentecost. He, he predicted the events uh, around Armageddon and the millennium. Three significant prophetic uh, uh, statements or thoughts that were put out there. He's, the book of Joel speaks to these three important days. The day of Pentecost, which was a historical day, is prophesied in the book of Joel. The day of the Lord, which is the, talking about the seven years of tribulation, is prophesied in the book of Joel. And the day of Christ, the thousand-year millennium, is prophesied in the book of Joel. So Joel is, is a prophetic book that speaks to, a cor to corporately, but also sends a challenge to us as individuals. You know, this week, as many of us have been, no, no doubt, uh, I've been challenged as I've been watching an Armageddon-esque kind of things happening in the life of our nation uh, through the catastrophic fires and people who've lost everything, lost their homes, lost their livelihoods, people who've struggled breathing, struggled to breathe uh, because of these sorts of things and uh, the blood red sun and moon that we've observed through the through the, the the pollution and the smog and the perennial drought that, that seems to be what uh, Australia is caught up in and um, you know I think that these things contribute to the foreboding realization that life can be so fragile and so short and that we're actually not really in control of things as we would like to think we are and that, uh, and that we would like to be. And so when we're reminded of these things and we watch images of people who have lost everything except their life, we start to realize what life is all about and the importance of life. And that, you know, when people have lost everything to the ravages of bushfire, it reminds us again of the prophetic timeliness of the book of Joel. 
And I want to spend a few moments this morning just challenging us as we think through this final conversation out of the book of Joel. So Joel 3, 13 and 14, I want to revisit this scripture. Swing the sickle, the harvest is ready. Stomp on the grapes, the wine press is full. The wine vats are full, overflowing with vintage evil. Mass confusion, mob uproar, indecision valley. God's judgment day has arrived in decision valley. And that same portion of scripture, verse 14 in the New King James reads this way. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. These words were spoken in a time of national depression for the nation of Israel. And I think that, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are battling with national challenges that, we've, uh, that I've already outlined. Joel says the sadness and gloom were mainly due to the indecision of the people who did not know whether to trust their foreign alliances or to trust Yahweh, Jehovah, God. And so they would have led them to a valley of judgment from which they would not emerge until they had come to a decision. In our day, much of the prevailing darkness is due to indecision. We're undecided about our faith about what's going on. We feel that things are wrong, but we are not exactly sure what is required to set them right. And we don't know how to speak into it. In the Valley of Decision, the great great question of human life is asked. Will man come back in the spirit and act and reconcile with God, or will he go his own way? Will he lay hold of the hope that is set before him? We're moving from the book of Joel into the thrill of hope leading up to Christmas. There is a hope that is set before every single person. And we actually need to help people see the hope. The path out of the valley of decision is one that is walked only with God. We are exhorted to help those in the valley of decision to find their way out. The valley is where the work is done. And we are to help others get out of the valley of decision. The valley of their catastrophic marriages, financial situations, maybe just their materialism is stripped away from them. Just relational toxicity surrounding them. Maybe it's health or workplace challenges, whatever it may be. We can help people walk out of the valley of decision when we show them where God is at work. Joel tells us that the valley of decision is the valley of Jehoshaphat and a couple of scriptures earlier from what we read. This is a physical place. It's called the Kedron Valley, now known as the Kedron Valley, on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And it separates the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane. I'm going to um, do, I'm going to be a bit teacherish here. I'm not very good at it, but I'll give it a shot going to show some photos. Uh, The first one. So this is an aerial shot of Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem. The thing about the city of Jerusalem is it's, it's like a peninsula surrounded by valleys. So you've got the Kidron Valley on one side, on the eastern side, on the western side, you've got the Hinnom Valley. And then there's a another valley through the middle, which is now at the moment essentially being filled in. 
You've got Mount Zion there. You can actually go to Mount Zion. You can stand on Mount Zion. It is there. You've got the Jaffa Gate, which is a gate out of the wall of the old city of Jerusalem. So you can see the wall around the old city. You can see the Temple Mount, the gold bit in the middle there. The Mount of Olives top right. So this is, I find this fascinating because the Valley of Jehoshaphat is the Kidron Valley. And that's the Valley of Decision. It separates where God is from where people are. The Hinnom Valley is also known as Gehenna. The, the wall, the gate out of the old city of Jerusalem into the Hinnom Valley is called the Dung Gate because it's essentially the place of refuse and rubbish, hell, if you like. Deb and I stayed in a hotel at the Jaffa Gate when we were there a few years ago. That's an overview of, of Jerusalem. And so I want to spend, I'm just going to have a look at a couple of other things. Uh, next shot, please, Dave, if you could put that one up. So this is looking, this is an aerial view. That is the, um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Number one is the Garden of Gethsemane. To the right, a bit further to the right, is the Mount of Olives, which we saw before. And then that's obviously the uh, Temple Mount, where the old temple was, has been destroyed. And now that mosque is in place there. So and in between one and two is the Kidron Valley, the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Next shot, please, Dave. So this is standing on the Mount of Olives, looking back over Jerusalem. And the thing about it here is that at, in the foreground are all these tombs on the eastern, on the on the the uh, the western face of the Mount of Olives, which is overlooking looking east towards Jerusalem. Sorry, west towards Jerusalem. And so, again, you've got the Valley of Decision. And on this side of the Valley of Decision is death, and on the other side is is the city of Jerusalem. I want to have a look at Mark chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. Thanks for those, Dave. Later, this is, so this is Jesus with a few of his disciples. And he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. So in full view of the temple. So they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking across the Valley of Decision to the temple. Peter, James, John and Andrew got, got him off by himself and asked, tell us. When's this going to happen? What sign will we get that things are coming to a head? They're sitting on the Mount of Olives looking over at the temple. You know, they're probably thinking, so they've come, they've come from the city of Jerusalem. They've come back through the Valley of Decision, back up onto the Mount of Olives, and they're looking back on it. And I look at it and I think, it would have been a fascinating conversation. They were sitting on the hill looking back at, at the temple in Jerusalem, you know, I think there are times when we sit and we look at church and we think, you know, is this work? Does this actually make sense? Like, how does this work? Jesus, is this really what it's all about? We find ourselves musing and thinking about the reality of that and trying to figure out what part is played. I don't know about you, but I've been through a few valleys in my life. When we moved from Sydney uh, up to the Gold Coast, we moved to a place called Corumban Valley. We bought, we bought a block of land and built a house. The thing about valleys is that's where the work is done, in the valley. And then after five years in Corumban Valley, we got asked to go and plant a church in the Tweed Valley. So we moved and planted a church in the Tweed Valley. And the valleys are where the work is done. And then from 
the Tweed Valley, we got asked to come and shepherd some people in the Tuggeranong Valley. And here we are. And the valley is where the work is done. And so you and I are in, in the, the valley of Tuggeranong. And so, you know, we might just playing with a bit of you know imagery or whatever here but but just the sense that um you know we can find ourselves in different kinds of of valleys and there are times when we're walking through valleys because the valleys are down low that it can seem like it's just flipping hard work you know and i appreciated amy's story and and honesty and frankness and vulnerability this morning around the valley that she walked through because we can find ourselves in valleys, thrust into caves, and we actually even wonder at times if God is there. And so, uh, and we and we just need um, we just need to get some kind of sense of answer from God. The thing about it is that uh, when we think back to the Valley of Decision, that um, that most of us here have probably made the decision to follow Christ, so we're not in that Valley of Decision anymore. We're not, you know, because I, I think about the Mount of Olives, which the first part of it represents death. It's just covered in, in gravestones. Then there's the Garden of Gethsemane, where, he was, where Jesus was betrayed. And then they had to cross the Valley of Decision to get over to, to, uh, the, to the temple. The thing about it is our responsibility for you and I, despite what valley we might find ourselves in, we have a responsibility to help people see the grace of God at work in their lives in the midst of the valley that they may find themselves. And if people are in the valley of decision, then we can help them find the grace of God in that valley of decision so that they can make a decision. It's really the place of final judgment. It's like if we don't climb the hill to the other side, to God's chosen place, we're, you know, we're confined to the death that is picked pictured on the, uh, the Mount of Olives. Our responsibility is to help people find where the grace of God is working in their life in spite of circumstances. The scripture has a number of valleys that it talks about. And I just want to uh, have a look, quick look at some of these valleys. The Valley of Weeping. Now, I know that there are some of us that go, are going through these other valleys, not the Valley of Decision, but maybe if you don't know Jesus today, you're faced, faced with the valley of decision. And I want you to think carefully about what your response is going to be. Are you going to climb up the other side into the presence of God? Or are you going to stay as an observer and just end up in the whitewashed tombs on the Mount of Olives? But then there's the valley of weeping that the scripture talks about in Psalm 84. And this, this psalm is probably familiar to many of us who have been around church circles for a while. But there's some significant things to bring out of this. So I'd love to read it to you. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They still be praising you. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. 
Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the person who trusts in you. This is a stirring scripture. It's, it's, it's almost a manifesto of, of faith and obedience. But in the midst of it, in the middle of it, the, the, we are walked through the, the, the valley of Baca, which is actually weeping. And there we learn some things. We learn some things. We learn that life is full of heartaches and disappointments. Life is full of tears. Life begins with crying when a baby is born. And life ends in tears and crying over the grief of a lost loved one and the mourn when we mourn for those who die. The thing about it, the question I suppose is like, why does God permit the Valley of Baca? Why does he permit, why does he allow us to go through these things? Why not just spend time a thousand years in the courts of the Lord? Why not just spend time on the, on the temple? Why not just enjoy all of that? Why do we as Christians who've been through the Valley of Decision and made a decision, why do we find ourselves in a valley of weeping? Why is it so? Why is it that way? Because I think... That for our good, for our good, God wants to sift something in us. And Amy's story was so powerful and so touching this morning because she touched on all of this. That um, there are times when, our, when we are called to walk through the troubles that come our way. But when we do, we come out a better person. The thing about this is that they continue the pilgrimage through the valley. We don't stop. <clears throat> We don't isolate. We don't go into a rock or a cleft or hide ourselves. We keep walking. One of the commentators describes the Valley of Baca as any difficult and painful place in life where everything seems hopeless and you feel helpless. It's the pit of de despair. And there are times that we can feel like we're at the bottom of that kind of valley. But then those who trust and worship God may expect to pass through the Valley of Weeping. And it won't last forever. The focus of Psalm 84 is, is the delight of worship, which we delighted in this morning. It's that kind of thing that keeps us moving through the valley of uh, weeping. And uh, so it's the delight of worship, one of the focuses of Psalm 84. And the other one is the longing to be in the temple in Jerusalem, the temple that we looked at across the valley of decision. The temple that we come sometimes can just stand back and make observation of. And sometimes we can think, oh, this, all this is just, um, you know, nice mythological kind of storytelling. We're talking real places, historical events. We're talking life, challenge and change. And so I just, I guess I wanted to show the pictures to put into perspective the reality of what we're talking about here. <coughs> And so the journey, however, to pass is to pass through the valley of weeping. There are people, the scripture says, they are the people whose strength is in God, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. We, don't, we, don't, 
we're not strong in ourselves. It's in our weakness that we are made strong by God and our heart is set on pilgrimage. We love the journey, right? It's one of the things we love doing here is the journey. They long and yearn to be in God's presence, it says in verse 2. They cry out for the living God also in verse 2. They would rather stand on the threshold of the house of God than live in the tents of the wicked people, it says in verse 10. We know God as uh, our sun and our shield and... Um, we live with integrity in verse 11 and they put their trust in the Lord of armies in verse 12. We have this thing that, te- that we, we have this mechanism that keeps us moving through, keeps us moving through. And that is an incredibly rea- incredible reality. <clears throat> so the valley of weeping is something that shapes us and builds us and keeps us moving towards um, the heart of worship and towards the place of celebration of God. <clears throat> the second valley I want to have a look at is the valley of dry bones. Excuse me. Ezekiel 37, 1 to 12. Again, we're probably familiar with this, this valley. So we've got the valley of weeping. There's lots of tears and everything else. And now we've got the valley of dry bones. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out of the in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around and behold them were very many in the open valley and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. And then you shall know that I am Lord. Reinforcing the breath that is being put in us. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and skin covered them over, and there was no breath in them. And also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come Uh, up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. There's a stirring in there. There's a stirring. There's a breath that comes from God that breathes life. Amy talked about it in the valley that she walked through. There was times when she could hardly breathe. But in this, you know, sometimes when we intercede for people, we're actually breathing the very breath of God into them and we don't even know it. And that becomes the power of it. And I think that this, is, this portion of Scripture is where God's people are introduced to the fact that there is actually a resurrection life. There is a, a foretelling of Jesus coming to life, a resurrection power at work. 
This is a foretelling of a resurrection power at work. And, um, and I think that this, this epic biblical imagery is as powerful for us today as it was when it was written, even when they didn't know what the outworking of it was going to be. And yet we, you and I, have the privilege of looking back and reading the narratives and understanding that the resurrection power is at work. Today it was then, it was in Jesus' day and it is now. That resurrection power will bring you out of the valley of dry bones. And we need to hang on to that. And sometimes, you know, in society, it feels, we can feel skeptical. We look around and we, we get disheartened, discouraged, and we see communities that are being trashed and wrecked and everything else that, that's going on. And there's a whole world of dry bones when we look out there. A world, it feels like we're in the midst of a valley of dry bones. And we may very well be. But, the God, but God is commanding us to prophesy commanding us to prophesy. We live in a time when human life is so blatantly trampled on and disregarded, where human dignity is not even valued, where transcendent and eternal uh, thoughts and ideas and concepts have no bearing or uh, are dismissed. And yet the supernatural life that God breathes into us uh, and that God so desperately wants us to have so that we can actually help others and breathe it into them. But the Lord tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones, to say the words and give life to that which is dead. The army of bones arise and themselves speak and say they have no hope. Sometimes it feels like people that we lead to Christ and they say, well, well it's not that much better after all, is it? There is a thrill of hope. There is a hope that's coming. We read about it here in, in, Ezekiel's, in, in Ezekiel 37. There is a hope that comes when the dry bones are breathed into. But sometimes, you know, it's challenging to give life to that which is dead. The army of bones arise and themselves speak so that they have and say they have no hope. How many in our world, in our lives, in our communities are living with, without hope and can't even say it? They're living without hope for their marriages or for their financial security or future. Living without hope for their health or breakthroughs relationally or whatever. You and I can breathe the hope to them by introducing them to the hope of the world. By showing them that there is a thrill of hope as a weary world rejoices. And in the midst of the wreckage of our fallen sinful world, wrecked bodies, wrecked marriages, wrecked plans, wrecked communities and wrecked families... We believe that God's spirit continues to hover over the chaos of the world's evil. That vintage evil that we read about. God still hovers over that looking to breathe life into it. And changing and creating new creatures and changing creation. We believe that God is not a spectator. And in turn... We do, sorry, we believe that God is not a spectator in turn amused and uh, alarmed at the wreckage of world history, but he is a participant. I think about, as I think about those dry bones coming to life, I think about the word becoming flesh. I think about Jesus, who is the word from the beginning of time, became flesh for you and I. It's like we get to understand, we get an insight. Sometimes, you know, the letter kills, it's dry, it's empty, it's stale, it's stagnant. But when the word becomes life, 
becomes flesh and makes all the difference for us. And so the valley of dry bones points us to the word becoming flesh. Dead bones becoming alive. I think about Lazarus coming out of a tomb, dead bones coming alive. The same thing that happened in the, in <clears throat> the valley of dry bones ha- is happening in resurrection time and is happening now. There are people who, who are coming alive if we can tell them the story. The word becomes flesh. The spirit gives life. It's almost like a breath of fresh air that people need. Amy talked about it, even as a Christian, needing that breath of fresh air. It's something that's breathed into us, and it's the Spirit that gives life. And so you and I need to be able to prophesy with conviction about what God is wanting to do in people's hearts and lives. Make no bones about it. We need to be prophetic in what we're doing. Did you like that? I thought it was good. Come on. Are you awake or are you a bunch of dry bones out there? Make no bones about it. Prophesy. Prophesy. Because you make a difference. You breathe life into people. Make no bones about it. And then there's the valley of the shadow of death, which we're all familiar with. So familiar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, why can't I just stay in the green pastures? I don't want to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But there's a purpose in it for you and I. There's a building and there's a shaping. There's a, there's a, a confidence that comes when we walk through that. When we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. We're not worried about evil in the, in the green pastures. But when we're walking through the valley of shadow of death, we've got to wrestle with evil. We've got to come to understand that there's a greater force than death on earth. And that's Jesus Christ, the resurrected, risen King. And so we fear no evil. We know that God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. And he prepares the table for us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It just seems incredible to me that there's this sense of when we look at these valleys, on the other, the other side of the valley is this getting into the house of God. And I think one of the things that's ripping people off so much is that the value of the house of God is being diminished. We come once a month or whatever, once every two months, and we think that's enough. It's not enough. Our passion is to get to the house of God. And sometimes it means crossing a valley or two to get there. But Jesus is the shepherd in the valley. He's the one who leads us through. Because the valley is where the work is done. The valley is where the life comes. And so we can sit on the top of the hill and look across and, you know, have kind of cast aspersions at the, at the temple and everything else, or we can actually go through the valley, do the hard work and make it count. Jesus is the shepherd in the valley. We walk with him through all our hardships. He knows what it's like to weep tears. He knows what it's like to sweat blood. In fact, when we go back to that picture, he was sitting on that very hill with his, a few of his disciples. And just down to the right, we saw that green garden of Gethsemane. That's where, that's where he sweated blood. It's a physical place. You can actually go there. He knows what it's like to weep the tears. He knows what it's like to face death. He knows what it's like to cross that valley of decision and go up to the temple. 
He was sitting on the hill and he goes, you know what, guys? Let's just hang here for a while. I think it'll be a lot easier, a lot less pain than going through that valley and going back up to the temple there. I don't really want to do that. It's going to cost me my life. You guys are going to betray me. You won't be able to persevere with me. You won't even be able to pray with me for an hour. I'm going to be all alone if I cross that valley of decision. He knows what it's like to feel all of that pain. And yet he did it anyway. So that because he knows what it's like to come out alive. And he knows what it's like for you to come out alive. And for your life to be breathed afresh and anew. So let me ask you today. Are you in the valley of decision? Do you need to make a decision whether to come to Christ or not? All of history has been conspiring for this moment in your life where you've faced with this question and decision. Are you going to become a Christian? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment or two to respond to that because it's such a significant question. And I don't want anybody to leave here with any shadow of doubt over their life that they have made a decision to follow Christ. Well, maybe you're walking through a, a valley of weeping or maybe you're walking through a valley of dry bones at the moment. But I want to encourage you today to find God in that. Allow Him to bring the hope. Allow Him to breathe the life. Allow Him to give you the opportunity to decide to keep walking through. Or maybe things are going okay for you. God's putting on your heart to prophesy into somebody's situation, to breathe life into somebody's situation. Or maybe you just need to prophesy into your own situation to see life come again. Father, right now, for every person in this place today, God, I pray we would find you in the valley. Lord, we would not stay there. We would not be overawed by the shadow of death. We would not be overwhelmed by the tears and the grief that we find ourselves. We not be discouraged with the dryness of the bones around us. But God, we would walk forward. We would prophesy into our own world. We would prophesy into other people's worlds. We would allow the breath of God to fill our lungs again and afresh to make a difference that we would help people see how the grace of God is walking with them and working with them at this point in their life and so Father I ask that you would give us the eyes to see in order to do that and for those of you who are in the valley of decision who have not yet made the decision to become a Christian to follow Christ while every head is bowed and eyes closed I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning if that's you and you want to make a decision to become a Christian or maybe you know you've been floundering you've gone up the other side but come back down like up the other side and come back down maybe you know now you make a decision I would love to prophesy breath of the Spirit of God into you this morning if you know that that's you just raise your hand this morning so I can see who here needs to make that decision. Thank you, God. 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 Father, I pray.
that from generation to generation, we would be your people that breathe life into other people, that we prophesy life into other people. In the midst of our own situations, we learn how to draw strength from you to walk through the challenges that come our way. And that God, we would never stay stuck in the valley, but we would keep climbing through. Lord, in worship and into your temple, God. Thank you, God, for the privilege of following you. I pray, I prophesy courage into your people here today. Whatever they may be facing, I pray you would breathe fresh life into their situation. And I thank you, God, that you are true to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you have any prayer needs, email prayer at c3monash.org.au or connect with us online.